0: Welcome to the second episode of the Our Fractured Minds podcast, where we're looking to redefine what it means to live with mental illness. I'm your host, Jeff Reno, and I'm joined today by Noah Glick.
1: How's it going today, Noah? It's going well, Jeff. Thanks for having me.
0: So Noah is a radio reporter currently based in Reno, Nevada, and the host and producer behind the Looking in Life cast launching later this year. He moved to Reno from the Bay Area two years ago so he could be close to family and, quote, get his head on straight which involves tackling his depression and alcoholism head on. When I started announcing this project, Noah was one of the people who who held up his hand. Uh, I was lucky enough to know Noah in college, uh, very great individual. I was very lucky to have known him. And when he reached out and, and offered to talk about these issues, you know, as someone who has opened up about his own, you just have to admire the bravery of that person. So, Noah, I just want to thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a it's a real pleasure to be here. So the first question I really have for you is
0: sort of, you know, one of the big things that I've noticed is the stigma surrounding mental health is is pretty powerful. Uh, I did an interview with a, another person recently, and they talked about how they almost were in denial about sort of the own issues they were facing. So I guess my question for you is, what kind of challenges did you face because of the stigma that exists around mental illness?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, I didn't really necessarily get anything out of the ordinary uh, that you probably you probably hear a lot of this from other people you talk to. But as far as my depression goes, a lot of the stuff I heard early on as I started to kind of think about this myself was, you know, you hear a lot of these things like, well, maybe if you just do this or maybe if you just think about it this way you know not thinking about it as its own disease or its own illness kind of looking at it as something that you're just not doing in your life um so it was really kind of um i guess i don't want to say blaming the victim on this but it is kind of like this well why don't you just think about it differently why don't you just do this it'll it'll make everything better so and you know and it's kind of funny that this happened because i was actually diagnosed with clinical depression at an early age i've had i've had I guess I've had a diagnosis of depression since I was about 13 years old, but I never really thought of myself as having depression or I never really thought of it as something uh, that's an actual illness or a disease. I thought of it as just a, a way you think about things, a way you go about life. And I guess it's because of the that stigma that you kind of hear uh, early on. And uh, so I didn't really put too much into it. And for a while that was okay. I just never really thought about me having depression. I just figured whatever, you know, it's, As long as I'm exercising and eating right and taking care of myself and doing X, Y, Z, I'll be fine. But then, you know, as you know, life gets hard sometimes. And I think that's when it started to really hit me that I may actually have some kind of illness here. Because, you know, you go through one bad breakup and, uh, you know, we've all been there. But I think what happened is I started realizing that, you know, I had one bad breakup back in 2009 and it was really debilitating for me. I was bedridden for days. I ended up actually going on a road trip just to get away from it all. Um, and for me, you know, it was, it was a lot of just, you know, I think we all go through some hard times, but I think it was then that I realized that I think I might be taking this harder than most folks do. And I started really having some suicidal thoughts and that sort of thing that's kind of tied into depression. I was drinking a lot by myself, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I think it's then I realize that, you know, maybe this is something bigger than I thought before. You know, it's not as simple as just, hey, maybe if I just get out of bed, or maybe if I just go for a run, I mean, you do those things and you still feel bad, you kind of realize that maybe there's something bigger at play here. So I think for me, I wouldn't say there was any great challenge as far as the stigma goes any more than anyone else would have. But I think it's important to note that When you first start talking about these things, when you first start admitting to people, your friends, your family, those close to you that, hey, I think I might have depression or I think I might have this problem. And the first thing you hear back is, well, why don't you just do this? Or no, you're not depressed. You just need to think about it differently. It kind of invalidates your feelings a little bit and makes you feel like maybe there's something wrong with you and not something that's just bigger than uh, or not something that's out of your control. So I think it is important to note that um, it takes a big act of courage to take that first step and actually tell somebody what you're going through. And so it's important that when someone comes to you and tells you like, hey, I may be I think I might have depression or I think this is going on with me. It's important to listen and just be supportive.
0: You know, you touched on a lot of really, really great things here, and I'm going to go through and probably pick it apart if that's okay with you. Sure. So. You know, the first thing you talked about is going through a really bad breakup and how that really impacted you. Now, all I can do is speak from my own personal experiences, but as someone who really suffers from severe depression at times from my bipolar disorder, I have found that I tend to try and fill my self worth with feelings from someone else, right? If somebody else values me very highly, then hey, man, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm kind of cool. People like me. That's cool. So. I know for me that I've taken a lot of impact from that. And what's amazing is when when something happens in that sort of situation, like, man, you just got to get over it, You got to have a positive state of mind. You got to keep moving on. You got to keep pushing through. It's not easy. you know. It, it's not as simple as just having a positive state of mind. For some people, maybe that is possible. But for people like me, it isn't. Um, so I totally respect that you were able to recognize that and seek out the help that you needed. So I, I can totally dig on that. Um well and Jeff, if I can if, if is... I can interrupt
1: real quick, Jeff, I think you made a good yeah, point. Yeah, go right ahead. I think you made a good point in that I'm the same way in that if someone else makes me feel good about myself, then that's how I can get some of my self-worth too. Um I so I can totally relate to that because I think that's something that can be good. It's good to feel good with somebody. But you have to be careful with that, too, because then that can lead to sort of this dependent relationship, whereas if that person then all of a sudden isn't as interested as they once were, then you start questioning your own self-worth. And I think that's kind of what happened with me in this breakup, you know, especially when, when you're talking about relationships and breakups. You know, you tell people, hey, me and this person broke up and they go, oh, good. She sucked anyway. She was she wasn't good for you. She was a loser or whatever. It's all with the right intentions, but it also kind of makes you feel bad. Like, well, if this person's such a loser, then how much of a loser am I, if she just broke up with me. Right. So, um, you know, I can totally r- understand with that self-worth thing. And I think it's really important to, to value yourself and find ways to make yourself whole and find that person that can just kind of walk alongside you rather than sort of filling that void for you.
0: No doubt, no doubt at all. You know, I've been there. Uh, I totally get it. Uh, I've been told that I suffer from codependency, so uh, I I get it wholeheartedly. The second thing you talked about, which I thought was really interesting, was sort of the prescribing that people did. Like, oh, you should just look at it this way. Oh, you should just look at it that way. I'm wondering if there was sort of a a turning point for you where somebody said something to you that you just were like, you know what? I can't. It's not that easy. Like, what did they say and who was it? (laughs) I hate to put you on the spot
1: like that, but do you have sort of an example that you can think of? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, the turn, I don't know if, I don't know if I had a specific turning point. I think for me, someone specifically telling me, Hey, you need to do this, or this would be a good thing for you. I think that was just kind of early on when I was kind of exploring my own feelings. Um, and I think what had happened is then that idea had been so ingrained in my head that when life did get hard and I was going through a hard breakup, then all of a sudden, I keep thinking, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just do X, Y, Z, you know? And it's like, you talk to, I remember talking to my brother and saying, Hey man, I'm, I'm drinking a lot by myself. I don't know what to do. And he's just like, well, just stop. And, you know, and that worked for a while. Like, you know, I was like, I was like, Oh, it's so simple. Yeah. All I have to do is just stop drinking. That's easy. Um, but you know, after a while, maybe that lasts for a week, but. It's not a long-term solution, and it comes from a place of, of love from him, but I also think it was probably just not fully understanding the scope of what I was going through. I don't know if that answered your question.
0: No, 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 totally. I think I think that's sort of exactly what I was looking for. So, so the next question I would have is, how did all of these challenges you face, and how did these roadblocks that you face from the people that you love really change your own perceptions of mental health uh, sort of as a whole?
1: Well, I think for me... I never really looked at mental health as its own thing. I think it was always just a part of everything else. So I kind of looked at it as, or I guess I always just thought I could do everything on my own. So when I was first sort of talking to loved ones about how I was feeling and kind of what I was going through, you know, I'll just say, since we're talking family, my mother was very supportive. She uh, she listened. She was like kind of the, the shining example of exactly what I needed was someone who listened and didn't necessarily jump to conclusions and kind of just help me figure out what the next steps are. And I don't think that's because she's any kind of expert, but that was exactly what I needed was just someone to listen. Because I think ultimately what had happened for me is I had talked to friends and I had talked to family who had said, you know, all I got to do is is just think about it differently or do this. You know, a lot of it was around exercise. Like, well, if you just go to the gym, you'll feel better, which is true. You know, I won't argue that. At the same time, then when I'm feeling so depressed that I can't get myself to the gym, then I start to feel even worse because then I'm wondering, well, what's wrong with me? I should be able to take care of this myself. I should be able to tackle whatever comes at me, you know, on my own. I don't need help. And I think that's ultimately what uh, challenges, I guess, what what those challenges did on my perception of mental health was that I could just tackle it on my own rather than reaching out for help. And so, and and I really am a believer that mental health is definitely a community and supportive idea where you really need help from other people. Um, it's something that it's really, really difficult to try to tackle on your own um, because you live with yourself every day. You know, you're in your head, or at least me, I'm in my head, you know, 24 hours a day. And so for me, the best thing I can do to kind of maintain my own mental health is to get out of my head by being with other people, doing other things. And so for me, it was all about learning that I can't do this on my own and I actually need help from some other people or, you know, something just bigger than myself.
0: That is actually a wonderful transition everybody has their own experience when it comes to seeking help. Can you talk about your experience? Where did you go? Who did you go to? What kind of process did you face? Um, Is it something you're still managing today? How did all of that work?
1: Well, it depends how far back you want to go, Jeff. Um, So um, I think, you know, when I was first diagnosed with depression uh, in my early teens, it was, you know, I, I did see a therapist off and on, but You know, a lot of it came down to money. So I didn't really stick around for too long. And again, it was kind of this idea of self management. You go to see the therapist um, to give you some tools so you can kind of manage it on your own. And uh, so that's kind of how I started. So I've been in and out of therapy since I was about, I don't know, I want to say like 13, 14 years old. And, uh, but I haven't, I, I mean, and that's just something that's kind of always continued. You know, it's when I start to feel really down and I'm struggling, I'll go see a therapist for a while until it stops working or until I feel like it's not doing anything for me. Um, but as far as reaching out, I've that's one of the biggest growth opportunities I think I've had over um, several years of dealing with depression and, and then finally also tackling my alcoholism, I think, is being able to really just accept who I am and what I have I think the biggest thing that's changed for me is to have that acceptance of myself and understanding that, you know, I may have depression, I may be an alcoholic, but that's okay. You know, there's not a certain box that we all have to fit into as human beings. And in fact, I think it's made me more of a human being in a way to sort of deal with these challenges because now... I feel like I can be a lot more empathetic to those folks who may be going through a hard time, even though they may not be clinically depressed. If someone's going through a divorce or going through a bad breakup or going through, who knows, losing a job, whatever it may be. If someone's going through a hard time, I feel like I can empathize a little bit better with them than I may have otherwise if I didn't have to face my own challenges with depression. And as far as alcoholism goes, I mean, now I can't mask it with drinking. So, Ever since I've gotten sober, I mean, it's one of those things where I've had to really, really tackle this depression head on and uh, I can't really run away from it now. So for me, um, as far as the management side of depression goes, I think what I've come to terms with is this idea of acceptance. I'm trying to think of the right way to word this, but for me, it's all about acceptance and that knowing that it's okay to have a day where I just lay in bed all day. That's huge for me because... I have this perfectionist streak in me. I'm also a very ambitious person. So I feel like if I'm not doing something busy or I'm not productive every single day, I'm not working towards some big goal, then somehow I've had a failure of a day. So over the years, I've really learned that, you know what? It's okay to feel really depressed and to just lay around on the couch all day and to just feel that and to just kind of let it sit there. It's really uncomfortable it sucks. It's not fun, but it's okay. Um, and I would say that the biggest thing for me to get there was getting sober because before that I didn't like being uncomfortable. So I used to drink it away. And now I have forced myself to, to just sort of face it head on. And a lot of times it's really uncomfortable, but I've grown a lot of acceptance with it as well.
0: Well, congratulations for that. I know that for me, I had a, when I was a sophomore in high school, You know, I had somebody ask me if I was bipolar and I found that offensive. You know, I was like, what do you mean? Of course not. You know, don't don't say that. And then I remember in 2007, I believe, I was officially diagnosed with uh, acute rapid cycling bipolar disorder. And when that happened, it was like just this ultimate sense of relief and satisfaction. Right. It's like once, you know, once you understand it, it, it sort of becomes this tangible thing. And it makes it a little bit easier to manage, at least in my opinion. And it sort of sounds like you, you kind of had the same experience, right? Once you understood it, once you sort of had a grasp on it, you at least knew how to tackle it. Would you say that's
1: accurate? Absolutely. I, it's funny you bring that up because I was actually talking about this with, with another person today is, you know, I think that actually there's a bigger stigma right now around alcoholism, I would say more than depression, because there's this idea of like, well, you all you have to do is manage your drinking, right? Right. And I used, it took me a very, very long time to admit that I was an alcoholic. In fact, Jeff, when we knew each other in college, I was an alcoholic, but I just didn't know it. You know, I, I was, uh, I was in denial for a very long time. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, when I started to realize that maybe I have a problem, I didn't want to accept it. But that, but now that I've been sober, I've been sober about a year and a half now, so I don't have a ton of time, but it's still really cool because I can look at it and be like, well, at least now I know what the problem is you know, and it's so much better to know what the issue is so you know how to tackle it than rather than trying to sort of figure it out on your own or, God forbid, go on Google. Never, ever Google symptoms. Never goes. It's never a good thing to do. But yeah, that's the one thing is like, you know, there's still a big stigma around alcoholism and being an alcoholic, but I have no problem admitting to myself that I'm an alcoholic and I have no problem talking about it. I think that's maybe why I was so quick to volunteer for the podcast because i think it's important to share these stories so that we all so that i i guess it's important to share these stories so that way your listeners can feel comfortable in their own skin and admitting that hey i have depression or i have bipolar or i have anxiety or i'm an alcoholic whatever the situation may be because i think being able to accept it is a really really cool thing because then you know how to how to tackle it from there on out so you know, now that I know that I have depression and I'm an alcoholic, I know what I need to do every day. I have my set, my set tasks that I do every single day to sort of manage that. And uh, you know, and then and that's and that's what I need. And as long as I'm willing to admit that I have these issues, then I can get better. But it's, but you, but it takes a big step to to actually admit that hey, I'm uh, I'm dealing with some some really heavy stuff here.
0: Well, I know that I very much appreciate your willingness to come talk about it. I know that when I opened up, it was one of the scariest things I'd ever done. So like I said, I appreciate your bravery and your willingness to do so. You know, one of the things that I'd like to ask you, and I'm not sure if it's, you know, too far or not, but you talk about how now that you know you're able to sort of make progress. One of the things that I do want people to know is just because you make progress doesn't mean you're healed. There's always going to be days that aren't as easy as others. Do you feel comfortable sort of talking about some of the tough times you faced, even though you know
1: uh, what you manage and what you deal with? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's a really important thing to note. Um, This idea that it's never really fully cured. You know, that's something that I've kind of come to learn with my time with depression is that it never really goes away. I have... A lot of time in between depressive uh, episodes, you could say, um, sometimes, you know, it, but it but it comes in waves, just like everything else in life. It comes in waves, you know, I'll have weeks where I'm feeling great. And then I'll have like a week where I feel like crap every single day. And it takes an act of courage just to get out of bed and face the day to this day, you know, and I've learned a lot of tools and techniques that help me get through it, you know, so Even today, I think, and I think that's an important thing. I want to talk a little bit just about progress because I think at the end of the day, the most important thing to remember is progress. You know, we're never going to be cured, but we can always make progress. We're after progress, not perfection. You know, I'm a perfectionist by nature. And for me to just know that I'm trying and that I'm doing what I can, it it, it means the world. I mean, honestly, Jeff, sometimes getting out of bed and getting dressed, and just getting into my car to head to work. That's about all the energy I have, you know, that takes everything out of me. But that's okay. And it's okay to have days like that. And I've and I've learned to sort of forgive myself for not being so perfect or on all the time. You know, it, it it's funny, like, I, I tend to look at the the little victories a lot more than I used to, because those are the things that keep you going, you know, and it's, it's things like, this might sound gross to some of your listeners, but if I brush my teeth before bed, that's a victory for me. Because many nights I am too tired. I don't, you know, I'm kind of like at the end of my day and, you know, the, the nighttime is kind of when I start to feel a little more depressed. Um, so a lot of times it's easier to just go to bed. But if I'm able to just take that extra step, that just one little step of brushing my teeth before bed, that's a major victory for me. And that actually makes me feel better the next day. So for me, part of my management comes down to really just really focusing on those little victories and uh, trying to make it easy on myself. And Jeff, I don't know if you got the document I sent you because this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. This is a tool that I use that I, that I, you know, I'm happy to share with with you and your listeners, if you're interested, but it's something I use every day to help me kind of manage my depression and my alcoholism. So um, is it okay if I talk about that? Please do. Okay. So, so I have a document that I keep on my computer and then I actually print it out. Um, It's based on the Eisenhower time management matrix. So think of a matrix, you know, with four squares or four quadrants, right? And it's basically divides it up between what what tasks are urgent, what tasks are important. So in the top left quadrant, you have urgent and important. So whatever tasks are there, you do right away. Then you've got the urgent but not important, those tasks you delegate. And then if you go to the bottom left, you've got things that are important but not urgent. Those are things you Uh, those are things you schedule to do another time. And then the not urgent, not important tasks, those you just eliminate from your day. That's the Eisenhower matrix. What I did is I basically cut out two of those. I don't live a life where I have the ability to delegate things to people. And if, and if I'm still writing out tasks that need to be eliminated, then I I should just probably get rid of them. Um, so what I've done is I basically have created a document where every day I write, what do I need to get done today? And what do I need to do later? And I write Literally as many tasks as I can think of, very, very small, accomplishable tasks. We're talking about, you know, for example, like when I'm at work, I'll write down, go to this meeting at 10 o'clock that I'm invited on and that I have to go to. So as long as I go to that meeting at 10 o'clock, I can cross that off like I did it. And then I feel like I'm accomplishing something. The act of being able to cross off a task and say like, hey, I did this makes me feel really good. And it gives me that boost it gives me that uh i don't know it's it goes back to the little victories right so for, so what i've done is i created this document i have a row that's uh personal items so anything i need to do at home or for hobbies i have um i have work items so anything i'm doing at work and then i have a business item because i work i do some freelance work as well and and kind of do some other items. So that's kind of like that miscellaneous freelance stuff. So I literally every morning when I'm having my coffee, I'll write out all of my tasks for the day, anything else I can think of that I need to do, but don't need to do today, I put in the right column. And that way, not only am I organized, but then I also can cross off things and feel really good throughout the day. Because for me, as I sort of, as soon as I do one good thing, I tend to do another good thing. And then it kind of snowballs from there. And I start to feel like really accomplished. And also, even at the end of the day, if I just do one good thing, you know, just one simple act of, let's say I brush my teeth before bed, then I have that one thing I can say, hey, I did this today and I can feel good about that. So for me, it helps getting it down on paper. What are all those little victories I can hope for today? And then as I start crossing them off, I can look at it at the end of the day and be like, wow, I did a lot. That sounds really therapeutic. I know that was really long winded.
0: No, no, I think it's great. I think it's great. Now, we're, we're up against time, but I do have one more big thing I want to ask you, right? We've talked a lot about sort of what you face. But we haven't really talked about you, right? The whole point of this podcast is to redefine what it means to live with mental illness. So my question for you is, how do you define yourself?
1: Oh, man, uh, that's a great question. I think I would just define myself as a human being. You know, I think mental illness doesn't define me just like anything else I wouldn't let define me. You know, I'm a big San Jose Sharks fan, but I don't let that be the sole definition of who I am. You know, there's a lot of ways you could label a person, but I think at the end of the day, we're all just human beings, and we all face our own challenges, and we all face our own struggles every single day. And, And for me, you know, I just consider myself a guy who's trying his best. That's as simple as I can put it. At the end of the day, I'm just the guy. I'm just some guy who's out there trying to do the best he can every day. Sometimes I do all right. You know, sometimes I may not have a a very productive day, but at the end of the day, I'm feeling everything. You know, if I'm having a really depressed day, I feel it. If I'm having a really happy day, I feel that too. So for me, um, I guess I would just define myself as a human being, someone who feels a lot of different emotions on a regular basis. And, uh, I just try to stay as open as possible to feeling whatever comes up in the next day.
0: And if somebody would like to learn more about you and everything you have going on, I know you mentioned that you have a new project coming up. Where can they seek out more information on you?
1: Sure. So I am a radio reporter. So if you want to check out any of the reporting stuff I'm doing, that's at KUNR.org. It's based in Reno, Nevada. So if you happen to be in the area, uh, you may see some news that's of interest to you but you can follow me on Twitter I'm at I'm Noah Glick that's i m n o a h g l i c k and also yeah Jeff I've got a podcast project I'm working on myself it's called the Looking in Lifecast it's really kind of a look at every every episode is kind of a look at what it's like to be human so I've got a few episodes up on the website it's lookinginlifecast.com um I've got one episode on change another episode on love Um, an episode on music and then I'm working on an episode about luck right now so every every episode kind of tackles a different theme of what it's like to be human just kind of looks at you know it adds a little bit of I put a little bit of personal stories at the beginning and then usually I'll talk with an expert and then uh, talk to some other folks whether it's kind of man on the street or whatever and kind of see uh, what it's like for uh, for us as humans to kind of uh, feel these different things the idea being no matter what kind of background we had or where where we come from, we all experience a lot of the same things as humans. So that's kind of my idea with that project. So that's lookinginlifecast.com.
0: No, that sounds great. And, you know, one thing that I I have to say as we end every podcast is as we close this up, I just want to remind everyone, we are not in any way experts or doctors. What you've heard today are our own personal life experiences that we hope will help in the stigma surrounding mental health. If you ever have thoughts of worthlessness or feel suicidal, please seek out professional help. You can find links to options on our website at our You can also follow us on Twitter, at Fracture Saga. For now, I need to sign off. Thanks so much to Noah for joining us, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.